Okay, before we get to today's edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling, I have three quick public service announcements. Um, number one is don't forget that on Wednesday of this week, September 9th, and every single Wednesday for the rest of the year, thanks to Pro Green Synthetic Turf Systems, I will be on Luke Morrow's midday show on the Charleston um, Sports Radio Network. ESPN Radio 98.9 and all the affiliates down there in Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston Sports Radio, 1 p.m. Eastern for a 15-minute golf segment with thanks to the Pro Green Synthetic Turf uh, folks. Number two, my Sunday show is back with Luke, the Sunday Sprint, this Sunday uh, as the NFL gets going for week number one. And finally, always remember to subscribe, rate, review, preferably five stars. But if you don't think it's worth five stars, that's okay. Um, But just subscribe, rate, review, and at J-S-C-H-I-L on Twitter to interact with me. Okay. And now, it is my honor and pleasure on this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling... From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey on this September 8th, 2020, to welcome in Cavender Nuzzi, who has spent the last four years overhauling Golf Channel social media. If you've seen a post from Golf Channel social media since May of 2016, there's a very good chance it was him. Unless you didn't like it, then it was somebody else. He also hosted his own YouTube show, Mixed Bag with Cab Nuzzi, which focused on showing golf for what it could be fun and inviting. Beyond that, he's just a guy that grew up loving and playing all sports, but golf is where his true passion lies. He's currently a free agent on the job market, so I acted fast and booked him for basically two days in. To uh, this new world, but if you out there would love his talents, which we will get into, act fast. He is a he is a free agent, ready to sign with a new team. Cav, welcome to teeing it up. Thank you, man. I don't know if I'm going to live up to that intro, but uh, it makes my day. That's for sure. <laughs> so let's give folks just a, a little brief backstory here. I think this podcast has been in the works for like a year. Mm. feels that way and uh, it didn't happen then it can happen now so this interview is going to be quote sorry part what I wanted to to talk about and go through then and then some stuff for now in the current situation that we're in here in September 2020 so give the folks out there an idea of where you came from where you grew up and how both golf got into your life and then how media and uh, social media came into your life. Sure. Uh, well, before I do that, I want to say the reason that I accept this podcast for everyone out there is that Jeremy is one of the most positive people on Twitter, uh, not only in the golf space, but I think you're, you're one of the most positive people on Twitter at all. And in, in this year, especially in 2020, man, I seek people out like that. And uh, so when you asked me to be on this podcast, there was never a doubt that I was going to make it happen. Now, 
as far as me, uh, I'm from Uvalde, Texas, which may not sound like much of a place, but it's halfway between San Antonio and Mexico, and our claim to fame is that it's the hometown of Matthew McConaughey, which mm. is about Texas as it gets. So, you know, that's where I grew up. I started playing golf at the age of nine. Uh, my grandfather was interested in what Tiger Woods was doing, and he took me to a guy that was nice enough to coach kids without charging them, so I could kind of go as much as I wanted and got a really good understanding of the game at nine years old. But then, like I think every kid should do, I spent the next couple of years playing all sports. Uh, I played baseball, football, ran track, uh, was even on a bowling league. So I really tried it all. And in 2005, things started to change. Uh, a guy named Tiger Woods, again, won the Masters, and I still have a scar on my leg from jumping up and hitting my bed when he chipped in. What? Just that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll never forget the moment because it was such a ridiculous, honestly, a life-changing moment watching him in his prime that in 2006, uh, my parents were split up and my brother and sister had gone off to college. So it was just me and my mom. And we started following Tiger Woods as much as we possibly could. But we started following the guy all over the world because we were just obsessed with the way that he commanded the, the present moment. I mean, when you see the guy in person, he has an aura about him that you just can't really describe. So the first time we ever saw him was at the 2006 Players. We went from Texas to Florida to see him, and we were hooked. And really, uh, my life has changed since then. We started following him as much as we could, and in 2008, I started working with a swing coach named Brian Gathright in San Antonio who has worked in the past with guys like Jimmy Walker and Nota Begay. He knows what he's doing. And just I was fully in it. And I ended up quitting football and I ended up quitting baseball and I had to sit down. My dad made me sit down and talk with both coaches face-to-face. And I kind of owned that moment and grew up. And since then, uh, I've been golf, 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 golf for the last uh, about 12 years. That is, I still can't get over that you have a scar. Um, I have a scar from in woodworking and day camp, um, cutting myself accidentally on my right um, index finger. Um, You have a scar on your leg from jumping when that chip fell down at 16? (laughs) Yeah, we were uh, were living in a rent house in Uvalde, and I remember watching it on this little TV that was kind of on a, I guess, a luggage stand. And, man, I was crouched down because I knew it was an important moment. And he hit that chip, and it went in, and Vern Lundquist said, in your life, have you ever seen anything like that? And I jumped up and, and hit my leg right on my chin on my bed, and I still have that scar. (laughs) <laughs> but it was worth it. Well, hey, in my life, I've never heard uh, anything like that e- either. <laughs> so I'll just say, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> hey, no. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting, and I'm just going to throw out the script here because any good interviewer listens. And um, what, what I just heard there is something that I have to delve into. You and your mom follow Tiger around. Now, anybody who has gone to an event that Tiger's been in, like myself, um, knows that following Tiger Woods is not as easy as it sounds on paper. No. Um, you have to position yourself. Sometimes you have to go two holes ahead. If it's a golf course that is 
fairly condensed in terms of square acreage. You have to use slopes to your advantage. You have to be able to do certain things in a certain way to get a vantage point. What did you find in your years following him with your mom that were your keys to watching him as close as, as, as much as possible? Mm, that, that is a phenomenal point. And I always took great pride in being that guy for our family. And I kind of took it as a challenge to, you know, most people do go the two holes ahead. But I challenge myself for whenever we see him to see every shot. You know, I'm mm. here to follow him. So I want to see every shot as much as I can. So your tips there, my tips would be one, you got to learn the golf course. You got to learn where the ropes are. You got to learn how to avoid bottlenecks. Uh, you know, there's certain holes that we kind of, you know, you may have to watch them from the green, and then as soon as he finishes, you got to hit those ropes and get through before they cut them off. You know, it's a lot of thinking ahead. Uh, one thing I tell people, too, is when you see him, you, know, you don't have to be right there on the rope where he is. You can get in front or behind him and look back and see it. You know, a lot of people try to get parallel with him, and sometimes that's not possible. Uh, another tip that has been really helpful for us and this is the secret one, so don't share it too much. But when you're at a golf tournament, let's say Tiger hits it outside of the rope, people are going to gather around there, right? And what is the first thing that always happens when, in, when a guy shows up that works for the tournament? He tells everybody to move back 10 feet, right, or so, to give him room. If you just stand there, if you position yourself maybe a few rows back of people, when they tell people to move, people will move back around you. But just mm. stand still, and people will move back around you, and you might end up right there in the front row. So that's that's tip number one there for people. But you do you got to think ahead, and you also got to know that it's not going to be easy, and you're going to get your work in. But man, is it worth it? Because sometimes you see that man do things that you could have sworn no human could do. You led right into my next question, which is, what is the best shot you've ever seen him hit in person? Oh boy. Uh, the best shot that I've ever seen Tiger hit in person. Uh, so the, the best shot, I guess, maybe the best moment that I've ever seen from Tiger in person, there's a couple of them, but uh, I was there when he won his first tournament post-Gandal at Sherwood Oaks in California. And it was his own tournament. Back then, I think it was yeah. Target World Challenge. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I'll never forget, on the 16th hole, we've been following him all week. I think we got there Friday, and we watched him Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And he was leading pretty much the whole time. Uh, on the 16th hole, Zach Johnson birdied to take the lead. And this is the first time Tiger lost the lead in the whole turn. Zach Johnson makes like a 10-footer for birdie. And I cocked my head back. And just, I couldn't help cock my head back and screamed, Ah, dang it. I mean, as loud as I could. And everybody looked at me. <laughs> and from there, we skipped his 17th hole, which is a long par three, and went straight to the 18th hole. Tiger birdied the 17th hole. On the 18th hole, hits it to about 10 feet above the hole and pours it in for the win. Huge fist pump, crowd goes nuts, and I was just in heaven. So we were right behind the green, and I was like, oh my gosh, Tiger Woods is back. I, I, I really, I could have floated off that place. All right, this is so, so inside baseball. For years, yeah. that fist pump, and that reaction was in the Golf Channel Open for many events. 
Absolutely. And you can see the fist pump. You can see Mark Rolfing take off his sunglasses as he prepares to interview Tiger. Are you, were you in that shot when you were behind the green? Because that was uh, um, shot from in front looking behind the green. Were you in the Golf Channel open for years? Oh, man. Who knows? Uh, maybe. You know, I, every time I watch that clip, I just watch Tiger. It's just so much fun. And I love that he was wearing, that's the days when he was wearing red shirt, uh, black sweater, black pants, but he still went with the white shoes. <laughs> so Tiger Woods, as good as he is, is maybe not the best dresser at all times. But, man, what a moment. I, I'll never forget it. Just The guy has a way of just seemingly making things happen, just willing them to happen over and over and over. Look at, yeah, and and look at, I just, I, I go back to last year at Augusta because it just shows his golf IQ is off the charts. And you know this from having watched him up close and personal so much, Cavender. When, when you look at somebody who hits it wayward in the trees on 11, gets the break of a lifetime to have an open alleyway, gets it on the green... And as he's walking down, has the has the mental wherewithal to realize that Poulter and Kepka are dropping, and knowing Kepka's ball flight, what he most likely hit, the fact that the wind knocked it down, then he sees the two guys in front of him in the same group, or sorry, one guy in front of him and Francesco do the exact same thing, and he goes. Bunker, center green, I'm going nowhere near any of these people, hits it on, and the rest is history. That mental golf IQ wherewithal is incredible. And you got to see that up close and personal for so many years. But I think that's part of why he gets these, especially for us who know the game so intricately, that you know what a certain thing means versus what another thing means. And... You know, it's those six-foot par putts that for years was what he feasted on to win all these events. And now he's doing it with his head. And I think post-scandal, that win, well, first the loss the year before and then getting that win in 2011, which springboarded him into 2012, I think was a lot of him becoming more of a mental player and him using his golf IQ to become more successful versus just sheer skill and will and determine, sorry, sheer skill and distance and just the fact that his body could do things that nobody else could. I could not agree more. Um, you know, if, if you want an insight into just how much information Tiger Woods is taking in, and, you know, I, my favorite part of that shift shot of the 2005 Masters, having watched it back so many times, is before he even hits the shot, when he's crouching over that ball, just look at the look in his eyes and it, it's like a computer taking in every possible bit of data. It's amazing. His mind really is a supercomputer for golf. Uh, he just ingests information and processes it better than anyone else. You're, you're dead on with that. Yeah, we're talking to Cavender Nutsi here on Teeing It Up. Um, a, a much wanted guest on Teeing It Up who's finally with us. Um, it's interesting. So that's the love of golf. Where did journalism come into this? Because going from loving the game and, and playing all sports, which, by the way, amen, everybody should play all sports. Anybody who's a one-sport athlete, 
um, I, I believe is, is not the right way of going about things. Um, you need to use all the muscle groups. You need to experiment. You need to learn the, the, the different skills that every sport gives you and then figure out where's your go-to and go from there. When, when we get down to now, though, you're taking lessons from a guy who has done it with the best, and now you're looking towards your future and then eventually getting into journalism and um, eventually Golf Channel. How did this whole series of events play out? Uh, that's a great question. So one thing, too, I want to say before I get into this answer is that this is an example of never be afraid of saying what you want to do because somebody who can make a difference might just be listening so from a very early age, I knew that I wanted to be in sports journalism. It really started at that 2006 Players. I remember being there and paying to be there and just thinking at that time, if I could get paid to be here, that would be a dream come true. So that, that I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to get paid to be in sports and be at a sporting event. So that was kind of the start of it. So 2008, I had an English teacher named James Butler, who is now, uh, I believe, a principal in San Antonio. But regardless, he was very, very good at what he did. And it was much bigger than, I think, just an English teacher in a small Texas town. He had a lot. He went to UNC. He was a very smart guy. And there was a, he also was the co-host for calling football games and basketball games on the local radio. In a small town, you probably know this, I mean, local radio, those guys are, are dang near celebrities when they called the football games and the basketball games. So he had a opening for a statistician job. And, you know, I just kind of would go and sit in the stands next to him and take that, and they would let me talk a little bit at halftime. And then that morphed into letting me talk a little bit from the sideline. And then it morphed into me having a little radio show of my own. And, you know, you just kind of take a little, you show you can do something, and they give you a little bit more, and you show you can do that. Uh, so that was the start of it for me, was local radio in Uvalde, Texas, doing sideline reporting and statisticians. Uh, and what that did, though, was just kind of gave me an insight already into behind the scenes. And I love, I think a lot of people either love the nitty-gritty behind sports radio and sports media, or they don't. And I loved it. I mean, I love the sitting in the stands and just the grinding it out. I love seeing what it takes. There's so much work that goes into putting on a radio show and so much prep and things that never make the air, but are important. And I learned that from a pretty early age. He is now a teacher at the John Jay High School of Journalism at Northside ISD, having yeah. moved on from being a principal at Rob Elementary in Uvalde CISD. Mm. So yeah, that's that's the guy. And I mean, he he you know in a in a way changed my life. Because he was, you know, he, he gave a kid an opportunity, which is which which is amazing. And the thing about small towns, to your point, the, the thing about small towns is that not only is local radio, um, you know, people uh, such celebrities, but local radio is also where so many people get their start because they are allowed to fail in local radio. And failure is the number one key for learning in mediums like this. I remember when I posted the first ever Teeing It Up, September 24th, uh, 2007. We're coming up on our 13-year anniversary here in uh, three weeks. 
or, or uh, two weeks. Um, uh, I was trying to do math to make sure it was two weeks. It is two uh, weeks. Math is not my strong suit either. Yeah, no, math is not my strong suit either. Um, but I must have gotten like uh, 200 calls on night one and like 195 of them were pranks and it was just a disaster. But that's what mm-hmm. you – that's what you – you have to have those moments where you fall before you rise. Um, and, and that's one of the beauties of that. So then from there, how does that get us inside the doors of Golf Channel in Orlando? Uh, oh, man. Well, there, there's a quick version and a long version. I don't know which you'd prefer. But, uh, <laughs> it's a podcast. You know. We can go forever. <laughs> All right. Well, um, quickly, I'll, I'll quickly get through my time at A&M. Okay. And get to Golf Channel. So, I, my grandfather got me a meeting with the A&M head golf coach. And at that time, I was young and dumb enough to think that I could get on the team, right? And uh, so I sit there with him. It was me, my grandfather, my mother, and the head coach of Texas A&M, J.T. Higgins, who has now just very recently become the head coach at USC. Uh, and he was very, very nice listening to me. And he said, you know, we would love to have you, but we don't have room. And as I was walking out the door, the assistant coach, Jim Anderson, who's now the head coach in Arizona, said, well, we do need a manager. Would you be interested in that? And I said, absolutely. And it was the first paid manager at Texas A&M. I mean, my life has been very, I've been very fortunate in that the opportunities have kind of created themselves when I needed them. You know, that that's kind of how life works. Mm-hmm. But he let me, those four years as a golf manager allowed me to get a real good look at what it takes to be a high-level, high-caliber golfer. And I spent so much time around the golfers at A&M, and they were good. Uh, In 2012, they won the final Big 12 championship that they would ever compete in. They were constantly in the top eight at match play for the NCAAs. So it was not just being around a golf team. It was being around a successful golf team. And I, I remember very early on, there's a par five at tradition where the A&M play, team plays, and a guy named Ty Dunlap, who I don't even know what he's doing now, but that shows you how deep the professional game is. He hit an iron out of the bunker. It was about 245. He hit an iron out of the bunker over a ravine onto the green, and I thought, man, I can't do that. You know, I'll never be able to do that. That is just a different caliber of athlete. So right there, it gave me a great perspective on what it takes to be really, really good at a young age. So... The head coach at Texas A&M is good friends with the owner of a company called TexAgs.com. And if you've never heard of TexAgs.com, I tell people it's basically the ESPN of Texas A&M. So they have a radio show. They have a website that has a bunch of forums. It's really popular. But they also have a great team of journalists who go and cover every A&M sport known to man. And it's, it's a great place for me as an intern to learn. And they were very hands-on with letting me learn. So the head coach of Texas A&M knows the owner, his name is Billy Lucci, and was able to get me in the door. And I spent two years at Texas as a beat writer and learned so much from everybody there. A guy named Gabe Bach, another one named Olin Buchanan, who's a phenomenal writer. And they kind of prepared me to send me out in the world. And I remember they told me, look, if you're going to make it in media now, you've got to be able to do it all. You gotta be able to write, you gotta be able to edit, you gotta be able to be in front of the camera and behind the camera, and you gotta be able to publish it. Because that's kind of what people expect now. And I went from there and I realized that uh, it's a small company, it's about 20, 25 people, and they 
they need interns and they have a great intern program, but they don't have a lot of room for people after they get an intern. You know, they want to teach you all the skills and then send you out into the world. So I was constantly looking for golf and I knew, pretty much I knew I was going to have to go to Florida because I wanted to either work for the PGA Tour, the PGA of America, or Golf Channel. And I applied for a bunch of jobs at all different places and finally got in in the position I'm in now in social media. And uh, that was it, man. And it's been Golf Channel ever since. Which is a a remarkable journey for sure. By the way, a search for uh, Ty Butler uh, did not reveal anything. Uh, Ty Dunlap. Oh, Ty Dunlap. Okay. Um, I will recommence search <laughs> for where Ty Dunlap is right now. One quick A&M thing. Did you cross over at all uh, during Johnny Manziel's time there? Oh, did I ever. Uh, I, was, I spent two years at A&M before Johnny Football, and I spent two years at A&M during Johnny Football. So I, I'll never forget. Uh, and my family knows his family a little bit, but that's another story. I remember my wife now, uh, she was not really into A&M football, but she got into it that year. And I'll never forget, we were in the stands before he took the field against Florida in his first game. And I turned to Amber, my wife now, and said, well, let's see what this Johnny football has. <laughs> and he went on to win the Heisman. So it, it was, man, that was a ride unlike any other I've ever been on. He's very very similar to watching Tiger, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest. And if I'm not mistaken, I mean, and this is what I think is so remarkable about what... Um, uh, what Johnny Manziel has done. And I'll get to that in one second. Ty Dunlap played on the McKenzie Tour in 2015, um, had a top 25, made all f- uh, made made four cuts, missed four cuts, um, and then played one event in 2016, and that appears to be the last time he played on a PGA Tour-sanctioned tour. Mm. So there's your Ty Dunlap update for all the folks out there. Um, um, so Johnny football is now like a two handicap golfer and that's, it's a remarkable turn of events for somebody who was so skilled, so polarizing, had a fall from grace. That is one of the most epic college football to NFL falls from grace. You'll see it didn't work out. He went through a bunch of crazy stages of his life, and now he has fallen into this love of golf, and he's damn good at it. And if you look at his swing, it's a really good-looking golf swing. Yeah, Johnny, uh, Johnny, his dad is maybe a better golfer than Johnny. Uh, really? Wow. But they, he comes from a family in Kerrville, Texas. Um, my cousin, who plays a lot of money games with his dad, um, you know, they, they just, Johnny, I love that he's found golf and he, he, it seems like it's a great outlet for him. And I'm just, I'm so happy for the guy because he did so much for me and my school that I, it, the new Kyle Field at A&M, we jokingly call it the house of Johnny Belt because he really did change the future of that university. He really did. And he put A&M on the map. He put the 12th man and that whole midnight chant. It's a midnight yeah. Midnight yell. What? Midnight yell. Yes, thank you. The uh, midnight yell on the map. Um, yeah. There's so many college traditions, especially being from central New Jersey, which has 
Rutgers, and that's about it. Uh, you know, th- th- there is Monmouth, which is where uh, uh, Miles Austin of, of the Cowboys came from. But it, you know, it, it's a, it's an FCS school. There's Rutgers, which is either the laughing stock of everything or actually really good, uh, depending mm-hmm. on what year we're in. And then that's it. Um, college football is just not a big thing in the New York media market. And Johnny Football, being who Johnny Football was, did did put it on the map, and it was really um, something to absolutely behold. We're talking with uh, Cavender Nutzi here on teeing it up, and it's uh, my pleasure to have Cavender on the show. He is a free agent after some fantastic work at Golf Channel, and um, if you're in the market for somebody, hire this guy. His creativity will um, will help your business immediately which brings me to this um i found cavender uh because i found a whole bunch of of people following some tweet that i did including cavender and then i realized that he had a new digital show coming out for golf channel on youtube called mixed bag with cavender nutzi wow what a name cavender um uh, sorry, with with Kavnutsi. And for those of you who have been with me from the start of teeing it up, you know the relationship advice segment. You know chilling with shilling. Mixed bag was that kind of a thing. It was off the beaten path, a different look at the game, a different style, a different editing structure, a different way to look at what happened in the world of golf. And... If the intro didn't tell you enough, because Cav wrote his own intro for today's show, (laughs) if it didn't tell you enough about his personality, all I can say is that this is somebody who does not mind messing up, uh, does not mind showing bloopers, does not mind poking fun at himself, does not mind failing when trying a golf experiment, and I even forget why you were on the range and took like 400 swings. What was the backstory to that, if you happen to remember? It, man, I, you know, I, I, uh, I, was, I remember I was, I watched the guy on the European tour hit a great driver off the deck. And ah, yes, I knew it was driver off the deck, yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, and I, I used to be, you know, I used to play a lot, now I've been playing a lot since this quarantine thing, but at that time, when that mixed bag, was filmed I didn't think I could do it and I wanted to just see if I could and kind of show people uh, like you said what, whether you know what, how hard golf really is and I think we accomplished that <laughs> based on all the non-successful driver off the deck you had to see oh my gosh I was cracking up That's out awesome. loud because we've all tried it and we've all failed but you've it sounds like you've done that fairly successfully. If you even thought to try it, you knew you could pull it off. And you heard Tiger at the Northern Trust talk about how when he did it on Sunday at number seven, there's only certain conditions that he will even try it. Yeah. And he's somebody who can practice it, but imagine the amount of force that's going into the ground for him with that. Stuff on his back, he can't practice that a lot. And then you put it into someone like your hands and now you're trying to replicate for a show how to do that. I gave you so much credit, and just the way you guys filmed that and edited that was so good. But it, it was it's, and and that's when you and I began uh, DMing and eventually found this friendship because 
you're just somebody that wanted to look at golf a different way and you found an outlet to do it in mixed bag. So let's look at it this way. Uh, first of all, um, the, the, your favorite thing or the best thing you feel like you did for mixed bag. Man, well, first, with mixed bag, that was the result of years and years and years of pushing to be in front of the camera. Um, it's really hard for, and I, this is frustrating for a lot of people, but in media especially, it's very hard to get somebody to see you for what you can be or what you want to do versus what you've already done. And finally, at Golf Channel, there was a guy, there still is a guy named Fran Salamita, who's in charge now of the Connor Moore Show and a lot of things for Golf Pass, who finally took a chance on me and was nice enough and to see kind of a potential there with Nick Bag. So that would have never happened without that guy and without a lot of years of pushing and, and not letting someone else tell me who I was. Um, so that is first. But that all culminated in going to Scottsdale, Arizona, and PXG, which created two episodes of Mixed Bag. And that, to me, was a dream come true in so many ways. Uh, to be there, not to be the guy behind the camera, but to be the guy in front of the camera, and to go to a place like PXG and Scottsdale National, which I never thought I would get to see. First off, uh, I never thought I'd get inside the gates at that private course and get to see the inner workings. I mean, that's, I'm such a golf nerd that that's a dream come true for me alone. Whether I got to play on it or not, just to see it is an awesome thing. Um, but Scottsdale holds a special place in my heart. In 2012 and 2013, my dad and I took road trips out there to play a bunch of courses. And it's just it's an awesome place for a golf lover. So getting to go out there was amazing. Doing all that was amazing. And what put the cherry on top is I have a good friend of mine, and I love the guy to death. His name's Nate Bargatze, and he's a phenomenal stand-up comedian. It's Nate, B-A-R-G-A-T-Z-E. If you want to look him up, he's an amazing comedian. And we struck up a friendship a lot like me and you did a couple of years ago on social media, and we had played a couple of times before then, and he just ended up being out there. He's a PXG ambassador, and he was a late-minute ad, and we just had a blast. We played the Bad Little Nine together. Uh, we played another round together the next day. Nate is on one of the episodes of Mixed Bag, I guess the last episode, and it's just, you know, it's amazing. In sports, there's, there's been so many times, whether it's at a, in a media center at some tournament, something where, you know, maybe the, the Sports doesn't pay that well, and there's a lot of long hours, but eventually, if you do it right, you get to do things that you could never put a price tag on, and that was one of them. And I think that also, um, and uh, yeah, Cav Nutsi's trip to Scottsdale, Arizona for PXG's Media Day continues as he teases it up with, with stand-up comedian and, and avid golfer Nick Bargatze, um, it's got two and a half uh, thousand views, 2,500 views, and it is still up there on the Golf Channel YouTube page. Um, that's the course that I believe, Cav, if I'm not mistaken, has the hardest, or was built to be the hardest course in the world, or the hardest nine in the world, or the hardest part three, <laughs> has the hardest yeah. part three in the world, or something like that? Right, it's uh, the Bad Little Nine. It looks straight out of a video game and that's because the only way they were able to build it was to model it on a video game and Bob Parsons set out to build the hardest most entertaining par 3 course anywhere in the world and he did it and 
what confirms its status as the hardest course in the world is once a week they'll set it up, they'll set the course up, and Bob Parsons will give, I don't remember the amount of money, it may be $50,000 or maybe $100,000 to anyone who can break par the first time around with those pins. And he's had Pat Perez try it, he's had all kinds of tour players have it, and nobody has ever broken par. And there's no shot longer than an 8-iron, but no one has ever broken par on those 9 holes when set up under those conditions. So it really is it's so much fun, but it is so hard. Um... You know, I okay. I'll I'll put it this way. I'm, I'm going to reword the question I was going to ask because I think this is the better way of of asking it. There was an episode, I guess, part one of your Scottsdale trip. Quote: Bunker tips from Gary Player. Cav gets out driven by Troy Mullins. <laughs> um, if that's not your style in a nutshell, I don't know what it is because uh, I, I, I don't know what it is because you are admitting a loss to a world drive uh, champion, longtime world drive champion in Troy. No shame in that. What? I said no shame in that. Yes, <laughs> but but you're putting it in the in the title of the um. In, in, in the episode title, which basically says to me, this is the outcome. Now see what the heck happened before all that. And that's what I find fascinating about this. It's almost like you're revealing the end result, but then we have to see the journey to get there. It's kind of a different style, and I think it speaks to exactly what your motto or ethos or mission statement is, which is just to look at golf in a different way. Wow. I, you know, I honestly have never looked at it that way, but it's true. Um, I mean, you know, I came to golf a different way. I think I just, you know, I see golf differently because golf has done so many more things for me than I've done for it. You know, I just golf, you know, it, it, it's not just a sport. It's, it can be a way of life. It can be a way of bringing people together. Golf is a vehicle for a lot of things besides just hitting a ball. And I, I, that's just kind of shaped my life. <laughs> so that, it's nice to know that that, that comes across. Because I honestly, I, I've never heard my show or anything I've done broken down like that. So, so well done to you. Well, you're welcome because you, you deserve it. Um, now let's get to uh, the, the, the fun stuff. Um, and some of this is not safe for podcasts. Some of this is very safe for a podcast. Social media, golf channel, golf Twitter. Interesting uh-huh. place, huh? Yeah, it's an interesting spot. <laughs> um, so we're, we're, we're going to leave this open-ended and let Cav take this wherever he wants to take this. What is the most bizarre thing that came through your feed while working for Golf Channel? Boy, uh, you know, we get a lot. We get a lot of weird things out there. So do the PR guys. People love to call and complain. I'll tell you, most of the interesting messages that I've got start with three words. Can you tell? And the answer usually is no, because people love to ask us, and I don't know who people think run Twitter accounts, but... They will say things like, can you tell Brando Chambly, and while he's on air, you know, can you tell Brando Chambly that he was wrong about this? And like, <laughs> I, you know, I don't even respond to this. Some people really, really, really get hung up on the location of tournaments, 
people love to correct, let's say for the, and I may get this wrong, but for the travelers, let's say it's in Cromwell, but we yep. say it's in Hartford. Let's say it's in Hartford, Connecticut. We say that, and it's actually in Cromwell. Right. Boy, will we get blown up about it from everyone in Cromwell. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's funny seeing on the inside of it. The other one is people love, 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 love when we don't have the rights to majors, but we have live from, and the major is currently going on. People just love to blow us up about why are you not showing golf? And I know people on golf Twitter know that there's a lot of, you know, the, the golf media rights discussion. I know No Laying Up loves to hit on it, um, but it's a real thing. You know, golf media rights are expensive, and you can't just show all the golf you want to show, as much as we wish we could. <laughs> so you really do realize how many people think the golf channel has all the golf in the world <laughs> yes. and you, you don't um, but you know it's really but sometimes you get good things too I remember we had a Father's Day post I think it was this year on Father's Day well speaking of garbage truck <laughs> like you said <laughs> um, one sec let me go back this is a good story but um, you know we had a Father's Day post and we had somebody reach out to us and ask you know this would make my husband's year day week if y'all could post this and we did and we went through and found his story and pictures of him and posted it on golf channel and really got to make someone's day and that's the least we could do and so you do it's about 50 50 i think and you know that there's a lot of bad out there but if you look hard enough you can find something that's that's great and and it's great about this game i think i always looked at it as you know golf channel is an opportunity to spread the game and, and grow the game and do some good so as much trash as you have to filter through and my response to anyone who ever responded to was angry or was mad about tv coverage my thing was always have you talked to your kids today have you gone outside have you gotten off your phone and just looked at the world because some people are just so bitter that they want to take it out on golf channel's twitter feed and that's fine i'll just do it if that helps but you know it, it's nice to see some good and get off twitter for a little bit but boy you see some things and you have to have thick skin if you're going to run a social media account with for any brand you have got to have some pretty thick skin and know that if i put this out and they don't then the trolls don't like it it was still a fine piece of content and those people are just trolls and one thing that i've always found hilarious i've had people send me dms about this and text messages about this it's like why isn't Tiger always in, sorry, wh- wh- why is Tiger always in the feature group? I don't want to show Tiger. I don't want to see Tiger. Show other golfers. I'm like, uh, have you paid attention the last 25 years? Exactly. Yeah, the golf, the golf channel wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Tiger Woods. Yes. So. And then, then there's the reverse, which is, hi, I am the JT Poston fan club. Um, uh, why aren't you showing him? Yep. Yep, you get those too. Yes. I, I wish we could make that. You know, I wish we could have made everybody happy. <laughs> but, you know, it, technology, the funny thing about golf technology is it's getting there. It is. At some point, you will be able to see whatever play you want, hit whatever shot you want. Uh, so that's fun. And, you know, PGA Tour Live and the way that the Masters has their app structured where you can see every shot pretty much seconds after it. Yep, and the players was going to do the same thing and did for a day. Exactly, yeah. Until that got that, shut down. 
Exactly. That it all comes down to resources and uh, all that. But it, it, the technology is there, which is exciting if you're a golf fan and if you're a JT Poston fan. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, and look, we love you, JT Poston. You're a great champion. Um, you know, he he's 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 a PGA Tour winner. He's a funny guy. I saw him in the uh, Wednesday Skills Challenge. He's a funny guy. But sometimes you just can't make the feature group as much as. Uh, People would like, we're talking to Cavender Nutsi here on Teeing It Up. Um, it's an interesting place, Golf Channel is, um, because you are working for a company that stands for a lot. As you said, people think Golf Channel has all the rights to golf because you just that's just the way it should be. The NFL Network... Sorry, uh, the the MLB network shows baseball, and then and then you know, um, um, NBA TV shows the NBA, and whenever you guys wind up showing European soccer, yeah. <laughs> I always get the oddest text messages, and I'm like, do you realize that you're a part of a corporate <laughs> conglomerate that <laughs> that that shows this stuff? And uh, like sometimes you have to do something for another part of the company, and like sure. it's just the oddest thing. But there's also Absolutely. some really cool perks that come from working for Golf Channel. So as weird as social media can be, as weird as some of these things can be, what is when you look at it some of the coolest stuff you've done at Golf Channel, experienced at Golf Channel? Um, Take this wherever you want to take it, but just, you know, that's the open-ended question. Oh, my gosh. Well, man, working for Golf Channel was, a, was just a dream come true uh, in so many ways. You know, I, I think I just there, you, you'd be amazed at how many people at Golf Channel don't play golf, and I don't think that they fully enjoyed everything that that place could offer, but, man, I did. And every time that I got to go to a tournament – to be on site at a tournament was all that I could ask for. I mean, I, you, I was floating around those places all the time. You know, I got to go, uh, like, I, in 2006 when I was with the players, and I said, boy, if I could get paid to be here, that would be a dream come true. Well, 11 years later, it happened. Um, and that was amazing. But the best, the best week I ever had at Golf Channel, by far, hands down, no close even contest was the 2018 Open Championship. Getting to go to that at Carnoustie, which I played Carnoustie when I was, I went to the 2015 Open at St. Andrews and as a fan and got to play Carnoustie, which is right up the road. So that place already had a special spot in my heart to go back to the 2018 Open. I like to say three things that I love dearly were born in Scotland. Golf, Scotch, and my wife. So that's the truth. Uh, and she's American, but somehow she was born in Scotland. Her dad was working in Aberdeen, and that's, that's where she was born. But to go over there, I remember thinking just the whole week that it, it was unlike any summer that I've ever seen in Scotland. And I think it was the biggest heat wave they've had there since the 80s. Because if you remember that open, it was baked. Yep. Carnoustie was just as brown as it could be. And it was such a unique week. And then, so all of that on top of it. And Tiger Woods, that was kind of, you know, it's funny. With the 2011 Target World Challenge that he won and then the 2018 Open, those are kind of big moments for him where he seemed 
to get his strut back. And that 2018 Open, when he went head-to-head with Francesco Molinari, I like to say I was, that was the week I got to walk inside the ropes. And it's funny because I tell people, yeah, Tiger and Francesco were paired together that week. And I tell people, you know, I watched the 2018 Open Championship win, or Open Championship winner, and I don't remember a single shot he hit. Because <laughs> I was walking inside the ropes with him, and my eyes just focused on Tiger the whole time. And he had a shot out of the bunker on 10 at Carnoustie. Oh it came to mind as one of the best ones I've seen, but I wanted to save it for the Open. But I remember him hitting that shot. And just, I mean, I thought he was going to win. I thought for sure he was going to win. Because he hit, people don't know what we're talking about. He was in a pop bunker about 140 or 150 yards from the green, up against the face. I thought he was pitching out. And he gets it on the front of the green with one of the most tigerific swings that I've ever seen. The recoil and, on that. Oh, it, it might have been faster than the first swing. Yes. The recoil may have been quicker. And I remember Johnny saying on the telecast, this is dangerous. When Faraday gave the yardage... And the club that Joey gave him on the signal, it was it was dangerous what he was trying to do to be able to get it up and out and to be able to get enough distance to carry the burn and then ultimately get to the green. And the recoil on that, and, and just re- re- remember, folks, this is summer 2018. All the scar tissue from Dubai and all the issues of early 2017 are still very 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 front in all of our golfing minds and my first thought was oh my god he has hurt himself again he has tried to win and he is going to hurt himself and conversely that's around when he took the lead and yes he messed up on 11 and 12 but that's actually when he sniffed it and what is so remarkable about that Sunday is as you said nobody remembers what Francesco did he went bogey-free at Carnoustie over the last 36. Absolutely. He just, he, he, you know, that's why I have a hard time remembering the shots because he just was in the middle of the fairway and he was on the green and he either made the putt or he two-putted. Yep. That was the way he, he won it. He wasn't hitting bunker shots for the pitching wedge from 150 yards looking like he hurt himself. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know, uh, but I remember that you know, real quickly that, on that 11th tee where things went bad, I was standing right there, and he was standing over the ball, and he kept waiting for the wind to die down, and it just never would. And he never, ever looked comfortable over that tee shot, and he hit it out to the right, and he made double, and that was it. But it was such a quick turn of events from 10 to 11, and that's what Link Cough can do for you. But my best, my best story from that Open was that Sunday, later on that day, the 14th hole, I think it's called... Uh, Oh, man. Uh, that, those bunkers have some name. Uh, spectacles. The spectacle bunkers, the part five, the Tiger went way left off the tee, outside the rope, and he's standing there, and Joey walked out to the fairway to get his yardage. And when Joey comes back, and I always thought this was cool, when you're at an event, getting to hear things and getting to hear those discussions between a player and a caddy that you don't get to hear on TV, that's, that's part of the reason why I love going event because you it makes it more real i mean you're yeah. seeing the wind if these guys see it you're seeing what they face so anyway joey walked back and i never heard tiger say this before but apparently when he wants the yard he says talk to me jojo that's what he said talk to me jojo so jojo gives him the yardage all that anyway fast forward to the next day 
I got really I got up really early, drove to Edinburgh where my flight was to New York, and I'm in line for the airport or in for my flight, you know, waiting to board. And I'm kind of looking down at my feet, listening to music or whatever, and I see this umbrella out of my peripheral vision, that, that yellow open scoreboard color. You know, so I knew already out of the corner of my eye, okay, this guy is, is somewhere from the open. I look up and it's Joe LaCava standing right in front of me. And it took everything in me to not say, talk to me, JoJo. I just wanted to say it just to hear what he did. <laughs> and I, I didn't do it, but man, I thought about it. And I stared at that bald head of Joe LaCava's at the front of the plane for half the flight. Because I was just, I couldn't believe that he was right in front of me. But yeah, talk to me, JoJo. I, <laughs> I just, you know, it's fun. That's, I, that's, you become addicted. To, to gathering these stories and being in those moments because that's that's what it's all about man. that's what life's all about because all right so hold on a second because this just made something else make sense and 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 this this podcast is, has gone in ten thousand different directions but that's the beauty of you and that's what i expected yeah because you being such a tiger fan will get this if you remember his kids were there it was the first time charlie was there to hopefully see his dad win that he would remember. He was at Akron back in 2013, I think it was, um, but was so young at the time that he probably wouldn't remember. So he then, uh, after the week off, goes to Akron in that WGC and finishes way down on the leaderboard towards the bottom and then goes to Bell Reeve and gives Brooks a run for his money. And I'm sitting here as you're telling me that story saying, why is Joey flying back commercial? That makes no sense. And then I realized, wait a second, Tiger went on vacation that next week with Rob and his family, Rob um, McNamara, Tiger's best friend, to Switzerland. He flew back, played Akron with really no uh, ramp up, and then you know, got ready for the PGA and ultimately finished second. But that now makes sense as to why Joey was on a commercial flight because he was detached <laughs> from Tiger as Tiger went off on vacation with his kids. You know, I wondered the same thing. I was like, why is Joey LaCava on this flight? But that makes sense. I figured, I figured it had to be something where Joey was getting back and Tiger was sticking around, but I didn't know exactly what it was. But yeah, that's, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that is... That actually makes a lot of sense now. Wow, that that's an amazing story. We're talking to Cavender Nutsi here on Teeing It Up. Um, we're we're going to live produce a radio show here, uh, a, a podcast here. So just bear with me, folks. Uh, we're coming up on 54 minutes, Cav. Are you up against any time limit? No, man, I'm not. Uh, okay. I mean, I don't know what, what you've got going on, but okay. I, I've got at least 30, 45 more minutes. All right, perfect. Okay. <laughs> See, we're live producing, even though you may listen to this podcast on November 4th, but that's okay with us. Um, as long as you listen, subscribe, rate, review, preferably five stars. Um, so I heard something about you. Well, technically you told me that um, 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 I'm slightly jealous of. Uh, you've been to that thing in Georgia four yeah. times. How in the world have you been to the Masters four times? Because then I'll tell my Augusta story after you tell your story. This is, it's the hardest ticket in sports, maybe besides getting inside the doors at Wimbledon. And you've done it four times. So let's let's go through that. 
Yeah, I don't really, to answer your question, I don't really know <laughs> how I've been, you know, four times. It really, that's, you know, I've, I've been blessed, lucky, uh, fortunate, all that. But 2000, uh, we've done it a lot of different ways. Uh, 2009, we just went and bought tickets. That was kind of the, nearing the end of me being at home for high school. I started college in 2010. So, you know, that was still in the period of me and my mom going to the Masters. You know, in 2009, we went to two tournaments, the 2009 Masters and the 2009 PGA, which just ripped my heart out. But this is not about Y.E. Yang, this is about the Masters. <laughs> 2009, uh, you know, we went, we went there, and I remember walking down the fairway the first time I got in, walking down the 18th fairway towards the main corner where Tiger was, and I just, I remember just bawling my eyes out, just crying at how, just how beautiful the place is, how much energy the place has. It's like walking back through golf history. Every hole, you just look and you're like, oh, that's where Jack Nicklaus made the yes sir, but oh, that's where Tiger chipped in. Oh, that's where Larry Mize chipped in. It's every, you look at it and you can almost put yourself there in that moment. And that's what's so cool about how Augusta has protected its traditions. I know they get a lot of flag for it and I know that it hasn't been easy, but by not allowing people to bring cell phones in and keeping things as tight as they have, they've preserved what that place can be. So you feel it every time you're there. I've been there four times and it's just, there's nothing else like it. 2009, we bought tickets, which is expensive, but that's the easiest way to do it. Um, 2011, 2012, we were given tickets by a good client of my mom's, and in 2016, we actually won the lottery. I was in a bar at St. Andrews when we were there for the 2015 Open, and I got an email that said, you have won practice round tickets to the Masters. So <laughs> that was a good week. That was a good time. But, uh, you know, I try to tell people that there are a lot of different ways to do it, especially if you just get there. The hardest part is just being willing to get there. Uh, if you can get to Augusta, and even if you don't have tickets, if you're willing to get there, you'll figure out a way to get in. Whether it's just somebody really nice that has a ticket or a friend of yours, you know, you kind of, it's half the battle is being there, you know, because you never know what's going to happen. But, uh, while we're on the topic of, of the Masters, do you mind if I tell you my, my favorite Masters story while we were there? Go for it. <laughs> so one of the Masters things that you know about and everybody knows about is the chairs, right? Yes. You can leave, you buy that Masters green chair, you set it down, and nobody will touch it all day. So the Sunday of 2012. And, and uh, just stop right there for a second. The, just so that people know, this is not what you think it is. This is people who buy a chair, has their name on it, it's their chair, and just by unspoken rule, if you're sitting down, you have to stand up and give that back to the person. Um, I've done it. Everybody's done it who has been there and who has bought a chair or has sat in a chair, even temporarily, just to tie your shoe. If the person whose chair that is comes back up, You've got to get up. It's one of the most remarkable traditions, and it just shows that there are still nice people in the world out there. Sorry, go ahead. No, that, <laughs> I'm glad you did that because it's important. So, you know, we set our chairs up on Sunday. Usually we like to set them up on 16, but we, on Sunday we set them up on 18. And, and when you get there early, let's say you set your chair up in maybe the fourth row. Well, you better know exactly where it is 
because by the time you come back, everything looks different. There might be 25 rows of people, and you know, it, it, they, that fourth row may have gotten pushed back to being kind of the fifth row. So anyway, we're following the leaders, which is Bubba Watson and Louis Ustazen, and we come around the corner of the 18th green at Augusta, and we can't, we can't see where our chairs are. We can't figure it out. So there's no way that we're going to be able to figure out where our chairs are by the time this is all done. So we just stand there, and we can't see, and they go to a playoff, and the first playoff hole is 18, I believe. Yeah. First playoff hole, 18, so we can't see. So we end up going down. So we, they finish the 18th hole. We're like, well, okay, they're moving on to 10. So we go down around the left side. And the important part of this is that if we, if we were in our chair, we would never have been able to get up and get to 10 in time. Right. So we're on the left side of the fairway. We come around the 18th tee box, which for people who don't know, I guess the 10 and 18 are right next to each other. And they're parallel holes. So we walk around the 18th tee of the 10th hole where the next playoff is going to be. And there's a ball sitting there. I'm like, okay, well, I guess we'll stay here. I don't know whose it is. But there's a ball here. So we stand there, up walks Bubba Watson, and they tell everyone to move back. And like I said earlier, that's a good trip, or a good tip, is if you stand there, people will move back around you. Well, we're in the front row. Bubba Watson hits a, uh, a gap wedge from about 150 yards that you may have seen a time or two onto the green, and, you know, two putts to win the Masters, and that shot. My mom is on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Whoa! If, if, you, uh, if you look where Bubba's hidden, if you look on the left of that Sports Illustrated cover, there's a blonde woman in dark glasses peeking over somebody, and that's my mom. And I'm right there next to her somewhere, but she made the cover of Sports Illustrated. But that, that was the shot. And uh, we were right there just because we couldn't find her chair. And we ended up going around you know, just to follow the action and there was a ball sitting there, and it ended up being one of the probably signature Masters moments of all time, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I, I, uh, you you said it's a blonde woman in sunglasses? Yep. Yeah, that's my mom. Poking her head out? Yep. Between two people in a blue shirt? Probably, yeah. I think she's right there on the, you know, just poking her head out. Like that is head. remarkable. That is, yep, I see her. Wow. Yeah, folks, so. Google Sports Illustrated Masters 2012 cover, and uh, you'll see exactly what Cav's talking about. Yeah, so you know those are just the kind of things that, that happen at Augusta. You know, you get these stories; it's just a magical place. But, I, yeah, I, I am about I, to I, tell I, you a story um, that is about that magical place. Things, it, crazy things happen there, Cav. You are so right. Um, remember. I, most people out there know about this, um, you know, just in general. But remember in 2012 and late 2011 into 2012 when every single radio station you would be on if you were on terrestrial radio would be advertising the iHeartRadio Music Festival in Vegas? Yeah. So it was ad after ad after ad. Well, 2012 is also when the Masters – sorry, 2011 – Sorry, this is 2011. 2011 is also when the Masters lottery, patron lottery started. Very cool. So I sign up. I think nothing of it. I think I've got no chance at this whatsoever. And I am coming back from the gym. I work out and 
your email is they've changed the way the emails are now now it's like yours where it says congratulations you've done this you know you've won the lottery or you've won you know tournament round tickets or whatever um then it said something to the tune of uh, your your master's the the master's ticket lottery has occurred. Click here for the results. I'm like, oh my! So I run up to my computer. I sit down. I click it, and I see that it's a yes. I've won Tuesday 2012 Masters practice round tickets, and I scream. My mom comes <laughs> running up the stairs. Thinks something is wrong with me. She thought I had won tickets for her for the iHeartRadio Music Festival in <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no, but we're going to Augusta in, in April, so uh, request time off. Thank you very much. Um, and even, sorry, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, it's even better than the iHeartRadio Music Festival. <laughs> yes, way better than the iHeartRadio Music Festival. Um, and it's such a magical place, as you said, and it's it's religion for golfers and it's religion for golf nerds and sports fans who think that it's this exclusive place and you can actually get in there if you know the right people and have the right connections and go about it the right way. And we came in the aux- the the auxiliary gate. There's there's two main entrances to Augusta uh, for the folks out there. There's 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 the one everybody knows, and then there's one by four and five, um, and and there's an auxiliary parking lot there, and that's the one we came in. Have you ever come into one on four and and off four and five? Man, I've come into that place every every which way. <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so you're talking about. So for the folks out there, when you come in that auxiliary gate, it puts you immediately at five green. Well, there's a there's a grandstand there, so you obviously can't hang by five green. You have to keep moving. And we were trying to find Tiger, so we needed to cross over. So we immediately ended up in the crosswalk of five right side, trying to go to five left side. And my dad has this tradition when he goes to a new state or a new country for the first time. As soon as he gets away from the airport, he puts his hand down on the ground, touches the ground, finds someone to take a picture of him, and marks it as, yes, I have officially been here to this state. We've been to Georgia a myriad of times because of family. Well, as soon as my dad and I got into the crosswalk, we bent down, had my mom take a picture of us touching the ground in Georgia because that grass at Augusta National is different than every other grass in Georgia. So to us, that was stepping foot in a new state. Um, It's that kind of place. It's sacred sacred ground. Yes, it is sacred ground. Um, you said a couple things there that I just think are hilarious, um, or sorry, not not hilarious, but just need illuminating. The phones thing is bizarre. I and as most people know, and this is twenty, uh, you know, this was twenty twelve, and, and think about it now. But in twenty twelve, I remember thinking, should I put, should I, should I keep the phone in the rental car, or should I keep my phone in the hotel room? What is safer? And should I keep it on or keep it off? Like, what should I... These are questions I've not asked myself in years, except for flying. Yeah. When you're forced to. And what was crazy is next to number four and number three is that set of pay phones 
Hmm. Have Have you ever ended up by the payphones? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the only way to talk to somebody in the outside world. Now, granted, I was never very interested in talking to someone in the outside world when I was there, so I've never used them, but I've seen them. Right, and it's this bizarre thing that you think payphones are, like, gone, but no, this is a free row of payphones with an Augusta, Georgia phone book in the bottom. Well, think think about this, Cav. And I'm sure your wife is either listening or nearby or will hear this podcast, so, so, so please answer it correctly. Besides your wife's cell phone, how many phone numbers do you actually know in the year 2020? I know my mother's, my father's, my brother's, and my sister's, and my wife's, and that's it. So I know one of my best friends and then a couple landlines, but that's it. So we're by these phones and they're free and we're like, we've got to call somebody. <laughs> yeah. My mom somehow remembered her brother's business phone number. So I called the friend whose phone number I know. He's as surprised to hear from me as anybody. And then I, she remembers her brother's phone number and calls him. And he's like, is something wrong, sis? Like, why are you calling me? Aren't you at Augusta? Like, what are you doing here? Um, And that was utterly remarkable. Um, Just that whole place and the way they do it and just everything, the way they treat you and the food prices are for real and it's the fastest tournament shop I've ever been in. I mean, in and out. It's like, what are they doing? Like, do they take lessons from Amazon or somebody? Like, just the way they work those lines is remarkable. And then... You know, being able to see the spot where Phil hit his shot through the trees on ten on uh, sorry on, on 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 thirteen in twenty ten and and seeing the spot that the Tiger hit his chip from where they put those flags early in the week. This was a Tuesday practice round was just so remarkable. But the moment and and this God, this gets me emotional uh, just even thinking about it. And it, it I, I I would have never have told you this story if it wasn't for you talking about your mom in the Sports Illustrated cover. Uh, there was a friend, remember when 3D TV was all the rage? Yeah, yeah, the Masters was big on that. Yes, and my buddy from college was working the 3D telecast. Wow, that's cool. And we wanted to meet up. Well, with no phones, how the hell are you going to meet up? And for those who don't know, when you work the Masters, you are allowed to have your phone in your working area. As soon as you leave your working area, you can't have it. So even though this person had their phone on premises, there was no use in me keeping that phone number because he could have been anywhere and then I can't, you know, call this person. So we're, we're by the shop and we're waiting. Uh, there's some bathrooms over there and we're waiting for my dad to, to, to come out of the bathroom. And I turn around and there's my buddy. Wow. In the midst of a Tuesday Masters crowd, in the middle of utterly nowhere, up by the merchandise tent, out comes this buddy of mine. Wow. Like it was meant I, to be. That, that is, that's how things happen there. The thing, you know, it, it, if you've never been there, it's hard to understand exactly what we're saying, but there's just something about the place where magical stuff. And it's why we've taken the last, whatever this is, 10, 15 minutes of this podcast talking about Augusta, um, just because of the mystical quality of what that place holds. We're, we're talking to Cavender Nutzi on teeing it up. Um, and, and Cav, it's one of those things that 
is hard now. We need to make a transition here. And the truth is, is that business is, is the way business is. Unfortunately, in 2020, these things happen. You're a free agent. So I'm going to step out and uh, get a drink of water. No, I'm uh, just kidding. Uh, but, but, but I'm going to lean back here and um, give you the floor. Uh, what do you want people to know about you? What do you want um, to do next? What do you hope to do next? What's the mission statement of CAV that you want a prospective employer or anybody out there listening to this who may know of somebody who wants this creative mind, this this mind that looks at a project in a different way and looks at some, I mean, look, you could do a great show about napkins. I've long said this. Napkins <laughs> deserve a podcast or a show or a documentary. Like, what's the history of napkins, okay? Man, yeah, I would tell anybody out there that yeah, more than a resume, more than, you know, make bag or anything, I'm, I, I'm, my whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, I think my biggest asset is just is an analytical mind. Uh, you know, I, I kind of know who I am and, and what I bring to any place. I, I'm, I think I'd be great in a brainstorm. And I just, I love golf and I love people and I love talking to people. I love trying to bring light to something. Uh, you know, I think in my life, I, I like to think that I'm a light for a lot of people and a, a ray of positivity. And I think that that is helpful in any sense, especially nowadays. But I would love to stay in golf. You know, golf is where my passion is. It's, it's really the only thing I'm interested in doing as far as, as work goes. Uh, now, that's, hopefully that ends up not changing. But I, just, I love sports. I love all sports. But I love golf because of what it stands for. I think the values in golf and being outdoors, I think it's, it's you, as a golfer, I think you just have an underlying appreciation of nature. And I think anybody who has an appreciation of nature, I think it shapes the person that they are. So if anyone is out there looking for somebody who you're never going to have to worry about, I'm not going to mouth off, I'm not a rude person, I do not create drama, I just like to create great content. Um, I think that sums it up perfectly. And I can tell you this, folks, from having talked with, with Cav, obviously, to build uh, the, the friendship that led to this. He is as nice as they come. Um, so all the, all the credit to, to you on being who you are because you are a positive light um, in the room. All right. Um, three more questions, one of which is going to be very short for Cav. Um, here on, on Teeing It Up. Cav, there is a tradition on Teeing It Up that first-time guests get asked two completely random questions that have nothing to do with each other. It's not personal. It. You have no idea what's coming from me. You have no idea what's happening. Can you confirm for the audience that you have no idea what I'm about to ask you? <laughs> yeah, I got no clue. Bring it on. Okay. When you're going to play around the golf, what shoe do you put on first, left or right? Ooh, left. Okay. When you sit down to watch a golf tournament, um, and 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 this is not um, this is could be any golf tournament, not just one Tigers playing in. Are you somebody that holds a golf club in your hand during it? Are you 
looking to hold it, swing it, practice putting in your room, um, anything of that nature? Yes. I, right now, right by the TV is my Scotty Cameron putter and a 60 degree wedge. I mean, I, I, I'm, I constantly have a golf club in my hand. Just, I love it. You know, I love constantly swinging, putting, chipping, whatever. You know, I just, something, just even touching that club just kind of puts you at ease. So, absolutely. Amen. And a lot of people don't know what that feeling is like. But if you've grown up in the game and you've experienced, experienced flush contact and experienced that perfect, you saw the left to right, you know, draw and, uh, sorry, I, I am left-handed. So fill draw. Yes, a fill draw. Or a, well, yeah, a, a fill draw, a Bubba chip, because any, you know, Bubba yep. draw is actually a hook. Um, Bubba Watson gap wedge out of the tree. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, you know, like when you see it and when you hit it and then when it happens, I had one of those on 18 on Sunday. Um, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was behind a tree from 169 and I needed to hook a six iron and yes the wind was helping me but I have not hit a rope hook six iron around a tree all year it's just not a shot I've had come up and around and I pulled it off and ended up in the greenside bunker and it was or actually sorry uh, not in the bunker two other people in my group were the bunker I was in the fringe Um, you know just to yeah, you pull it off, you feel like you could take over the world. Yes, and sometimes we 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 just we hit these golf shots, whether it's in your den, whether it's on driving range, or whether it's playing for real. That just it, it's even hard to put into words, but it just like gives you hope that that's why we come back the next day to this sport. Absolutely, and yeah. I I don't know if any of what I just said made sense, but but no, that is the uniqueness of that. Um, and then two last questions uh, before we get to uh, I'll tell you what the last answer is. By the way, you've you've passed the first time guest test, uh, so congratulations! I have a prize of, for you of absolutely nothing. Um, um, uh, so the last question will be who will win the U.S. Open. So I'll give you some time to mull that over after you right. answer this one, which I forgot to ask you from the get-go. Where does the name Cavender come from? Oh, boy. That is not a short answer. So let's see. I'll, you said you had all day, so. <laughs> I, yeah. So my mom was coming back from Baylor. She went to Baylor. She was in school. Uh, Baylor. She was, this is, I think, her sophomore year. Uh, she was coming back from Baylor, which is in Waco, Texas, to my hometown in Valley, Texas. And for people, I mean, this story is, is not going to be what you think. So she was coming back, and there was. Hold on, are you still there? Yeah. Sorry, my phone did something. So let me start the story over. So my mom is driving home to Valley, Texas, from Waco, and. She, there's a truck pulled off on the side of the road. It's dark at night. She can't see it. She slams into that truck, and her mm-hmm. knees go through the dashboard. The car's crumpled up, and she uh, is, uh, at that point, she's stuck in the car, and, and it, it does not look good. And she's in the middle of nowhere. This is a small 
this is in the 80s and it's dark and we're in the middle of nowhere and this guy somehow gets into the car and is just keeping her conscious until the paramedics can get there and he's telling her Sarah I knew your father and I knew your grandfather and you're gonna be okay and he kept saying that over and over again and finally they get there and they get the jaws of life and they get her out and she's talking to the paramedics and she's saying who was this man that was talking to me and they're like ma'am there was hardly any room for you in that car there was nobody and that's kind of she thought maybe what was that fast forward about 10 12 years and it's the day before i'm born and she's in the hospital and she gets a phone call and they give her the phone and the first thing the guy says is sarah i knew your father and i knew your grandfather and his name was dick cavender and he lived right off that road in a farmhouse and had seen what had happened and was a former paramedic and decided he was going to run over there and see what he could do. And I think in a lot of ways he saved my mother's life. So that's why my name is Cavalier. Wow. Yeah. That's Holy probably, shit. Wow. Yeah, it's a good thing we, we say that story for last. But that is, uh, you know, I get asked a lot, what, how did I get that name? And I'm always happy to tell the story. My apologies for cursing, but I, I think that was justified. Um, <laughs> I think so. Uh, wow. Holy. Um, I am a firm believer, and this is not a religious thing or anything. I, I am a firm believer that there are some people put on this planet for certain purposes. And... Um, as somebody who has become an uncle twice in the last um, two years, you realize what pregnancy is like and what birth is like and this just mind-boggling experience of what a new life is. And your purpose, Cavender, is to be that positive ray of light in what could have been a sea of darkness. I, I, oh, man. I, I firmly believe that. I firmly I, believe that. I appreciate that, man. You know, that's all, that's all you can try to be. And... Uh, yeah, it's just, I've been so fortunate in my life with all a lot of stories I've told and a lot of things that have happened to me that, you know, it, it's not me. It's not my doing. So I just, you know, that's the least I can do is, is pay it forward. Yeah, seriously. Um, so from that story to this, who's going to win the U.S. Open? <laughs> Look, I don't think anybody's beating Dustin Johnson for the rest of the year. <laughs> but if at, I'll give you two picks. At Wingfoot, if it's not Dustin Johnson, I really like Tommy Fleetwood and I really like Kevin Kisner. I think both of those guys have the right disposition and the right accuracy to succeed at Wingfoot because that place is going to be just, it's going to be another massacre at Wingfoot. It's, I think the, high, the wing score is going to be plus six, plus seven, plus eight, something like that. That's what somebody uh, from a local paper thought it would be when 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 he played there this past week so and tommy fleetwood always finds his name at the top of the leaderboard in big events he's kind of the brooks kepka uh in in that regard just always finds his name up there somehow towards the end i i, I can't blame you on either of those and look xander shoffley won the ag won the gross uh last week um so, you know, he had he had the best four-round score at 15-under. He won it by three over Scotty Scheffler. I think either of those two names could be up there in two weeks. I would love it. So, I love both those guys. 
That is my two cents. Cavender Nutzi is the former social media uh, guru for Golf Channel. He is now a free agent. Sign this dude. He deserves it. Um, Cavender, it's an honor and a pleasure for you to be on Teeing It Up. I'm even more joyed that we now have a friendship that I'm sure we'll have for a long time. I look forward to the round of golf we had that we talked about during uh, the technical issues. And uh, you will definitely be back on this show. You have a standing invite to come on anytime, my friend. I appreciate it, man. I enjoyed it immensely, man. I, I can't wait. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.